I'd like to read first something that the Dalai Lama said that uh, has been so important to me. We are visitors on this planet. We are here for 90, 100 years at the very most. During this time, we must try to do something good, something useful with our lives. Try to be at peace with yourself and help others to share that peace. If you contribute to other people's happiness, you will find the true goal, the true meaning of life. So this afternoon, I'd like to talk about generosity because we wanted as much as we could to complete um, all of the paramis for you so that you would go home with some kind of complete teaching in the Dharma. And this has been very important to us. So generosity, as you may have noticed on that uh, sheet of paper that we gave you on the chanting, is the first of the ten paramis, those wholesome forces of the mind and the heart that lead us across the waters of suffering to the place of uh, peace, a deep, unconditional peace. Generosity is about contributing to other people's happiness, really, and coming to understand how that contributes to our happiness, our welfare, our spiritual welfare, our well-being, how that opens the way, how that opens the path that is onward leading, that path that leads towards the end of suffering. The Buddha said that there are two kinds of rare and precious beings in this world, those who are grateful and those who are generous. And from listening to all of you uh, during these past days, for each one of us, we've become well aware of how easy the um, feeling of gratitude comes from all of you. And it is very natural, too, for us to feel and to express uh, generosity in our lives. And so I wanted to talk about this specifically because it's helpful to do the practice of generosity consciously, not just from a uh, willy-nilly way, as one of my elders says to me, to really bring mindfulness around that practice. In the suttas, we read that the Buddha would offer the Dhamma in a gradual way when he invited a family or a community. When invited to a family or a community, he would often begin with the teaching on generosity because that would be part of the gradual teaching. The Buddha said, Dana is the beginning practice for those who wish to diminish the forces of suffering. It is the beginning practice. It is one of the foundations of our spiritual development. In fact, Manindra coined 
this way of putting the foundations of our spiritual development. He said that dana or generosity is one of the three pillars of the Dhamma. The first is generosity, dana. The second is sila, or living in harmony with ourselves and others that Bhante spoke beautifully of last night. And the third is bhavana. Bhavana means the cultivation of uh, the mind, training of the mind, which has been our basic practice here. So you've been hearing about that every day as we give the instructions and answer questions and have our personal time with you. Establishing each of these foundations with care makes a lot of practical sense. To minimize the importance of dana or generosity or not give it enough airtime would be depriving ourselves of a strong foundation from which wisdom can grow. Manindra would often say to me, unless you have cultivated these three pillars, unless you pay attention to these three pillars, there won't be as strong a growth in your practice. The foundation won't be as strong. So the practice of generosity gives us a tremendous sense of inner stability when we do that. So very important to pay attention as we go out into the world and in our lives with it. When we pay attention to the true workings of this generosity, we come to see in a more and more poignant way that my life depends on the kindness of others. I would not be able to be here today without the many, many kindnesses, the many, many sharings, the many, many acts of generosity in word and deed that have been offered to me. And in the same way, I would not uh, be complete as a human being if I did not realize that there are others on this planet who depend on my kindness. Of course, my own family, my own community, my friends, and a lot of people that I don't even know. So that kind of innate wisdom that we come to understand through practicing generosity in our lives when we go home begins to dissolve a sense of separateness, which is one of the the great pains of our life when we feel separate from another person, another group of persons, another um, religious group, another cultural group. When we feel separate, it's very, very painful. Of course, we all know that. And so this practice of generosity begins to give us uh, a sense of the barriers crumbling, falling, disappearing, not being there anymore. Because that sense of interconnectedness through sharing, through kindness, is held up for us in, in a great way. So it engenders a stable sense of well-being Uh, Where I live, where I've lived for the past 30 years in Hawaii, there's um, we have a group of our elders. We call them kapuna. Kapuna means our elders, and they're greatly revered in our society. I'm really happy and proud to say that 
even in our schools, um, in the elementary schools, we invite the elders to come to teach the children the old ways, and the old ways of love, and the old ways of care. And even when our elders haven't had any schooling themselves, um, college or even completion of, um, you know, sixth grade, beautiful elders come and share, so we greatly revere them. And what they have taught us is how the word aloha is so much more important than how the tourist industry has made it out to be. Because the word aloha contains that word ha, which means breath. And in ancient times, and now being revived again in our uh, society in Hawaii, when we say aloha to each other, we greet each other by um, embracing each other. And when we say aloha, we ha into the ear of another person on one ear and then on another ear. And it means that I share my life with you. I share my breath with you. This ha interconnects us. I support you. I care for you. It's a word that means love. It's a word that means hello. It's a word that means goodbye. It's a word that uh, greets us and helps us to understand our deep interconnectedness with each other. So this sharing of one's life is dana. In the Buddhist teaching, it is one of the three pillars of the Dharma, which I just spoke about. It's one of the qualities of a beautiful human being that the Buddha talked about. It's the first of the paramis among the ones we have been uh, sharing with you over this time. And more contemporarily, uh, one of our colleagues, Roger Walsh, who is a professor at the University of California in Irvine, he um, researched many of the world's philosophies and religions, and he found out that generosity is one of the seven central practices to awaken the mind and the heart of all the religions that he researched and the philosophies. So it's an extremely important one that we haven't paid. Um, I feel that we haven't given enough airtime in formal settings in the Dharma. One of our teachers, I mentioned Manindra all the time, he passed away a few years ago, Would use, uh, used to tell me, please be sure to share the uh, teaching on dana because if it's not shared, then the, the pillars of the, the Buddha Dhamma will, will not be strong in the West. The Buddha said, if beings knew that, as I know, the results of sharing gifts, they would not enjoy their use without sharing them with others, nor would the taint of stinginess obsess their heart. And even if it were their last and final bit of food, they would not enjoy its use without sharing it if there were anyone to receive it. So I'm just remembering um, times when 
There was a time when I was taking care of Manindraji. He had just had some surgery, and he was spending some months with uh, my family at home in Hawaii, where I live. And I used to um, have to leave him there because I'd go off to work and I'd leave some food for him, but I'd come in to check on him once in a while. And so when I did, I'd say, Munindraji, how are you? How's, are, are you lonesome here? You're here all by yourself. Sometimes I, I'm not happy that I leave you here alone. And he would say, oh, I am not alone here. I have many, many friends. I have the birds. I have the ants. I have the cockroaches. Everyone is here. I even share my food with them. Uh, after, during every meal, I put aside a little and I put it there on the ground just to share with the ants and the roaches. So I always thought, you know, well, that's why we have a lot of roaches. (laughs) It was so important for him, you know, just when there was no one there, as the Buddha said, if there were anyone to receive it, And so Manindra would always make sure there'd be someone there to receive it, even the insects. So what did the Buddha and other great beings, of course, know about the results of sharing that was so life-transforming for him? I always wanted to know that. He talks about sharing and giving many, many times in the suttas. A big part of generosity is, of course, the, the development of non-clinging. The opposite of clinging is generosity, letting go. And so this is a big part of our spiritual life. How are we developing it on a daily basis when we're at home? How does letting go, which is essentially the essence of our practice, benefit the giver, as well as the receiver. This is what I wanted to know in the practice of generosity. So it was during that time that I was helping Manindraji when he was recovering from surgery that he gave me a teaching on generosity. And he asked me, do you really know what you're doing when you come home every day and check on me and whatever I was doing to help him? Do you really know how it benefits you, not just benefit me. And I didn't know. And so he gave me this teaching and asked me to share it with others. And so I share it with you in the same spirit that he shared with me. He said to me, you can do this practice of generosity in two ways. You can understand, uh, you can do this practice with practice without fully understanding what you're doing. You will still reap the karmic benefits of it, which means that wholesome actions of giving produce wholesome results. And usually the results have to do with having some kind of contentedness, abundance ourselves on the material level and on the level of just ease and comfort in our lives. He said you can practice in another way. You can practice with understanding it fully to know the cause and effect relationship of what does an act of generosity mean for your heart, 
What are the far-reaching implications? How does generosity, as one of our other teachers from Burma say, how does generosity give away your greed? It's not just giving away what you have materially, but how is it giving away your greed? How does it lead to liberation? So, of course, Manindra wanted me to bring it out of the realm of habit, which is a very limited realm, that we just do it willy-nilly without bringing a conscious mindfulness around it. It's good that it comes even out of a habit, the habit of being a good person. But he wanted to bring it into the light of wise attention, so that it is a real conscious act. So I thought about how true it is that a lot of times when I give, it's just out of a symbolic gesture. I give because, you know, tipping is what you do. After I learned this from Manindra, I really started to pay attention when I would write the check at a restaurant or wherever I was, and I would add something to it. And then there would be a certain process go on inside of me, and I'd think, um, well, should I give this percentage or that percentage? And then I'd get to the percentage that I thought was right, you know, and then I'd say, well, it's this many dollars and so many cents. And then I'd watch the mind. I'd really be mindful of, well, maybe I'll just round it off to the, you know, um, higher number. And then I'd say, oh, no, I'll just round it off to the lower number. And, you know, just being mindful of that was really, really helpful. And then when I started being more generous and um, raising the percentage level for me, I would think about that person's family and think, this person has a family, if not just himself, and think about how many people are this, these few dollars can help. And maybe just a, a little bit but how much ease of well-being that this can help. So I started not making it a symbolic gesture, but really watching what happens in my own mind and noticing the happiness that it brought when I really took into account where it was going and what it would do. Because we do it out of routine. The routine of having a good heart is a good routine, but it's an unconscious routine a lot. The routine of being nice, of doing the right thing, of course, that's all wonderful. But where Manindra wanted to give me a teaching is how could I elevate that to something uh, that would be onward leading for me. So sometimes this is not an easy Dhamma teaching because culturally in the West, happiness and wisdom have a lot to do with what we can acquire materially, educationally, career-wise, social status-wise. And the spiritual life, happiness and wisdom have to do with letting go. It's the complete opposite of what we've been raised with. And actually... In the, in the spir- on the spiritual scene in the West, when the teachings came to the West, because it came into uh, a very mm, a kind of psychologically oriented culture, 
and culture that was really interested in wisdom, we started learning meditation first. Bhavana, the third of the uh, three pillars of the Dhamma. And later, more formal teachings came into play. Somebody today in an interview said that um, hadn't heard about sila yet. This was the first time in, in at IMS that the five precepts were heard of, even though being on the path for a while. And uh, so now we're trying to give uh, generosity a little more understanding because we started a little bit, um, I might say, backwards here, you know. And when the Buddha started with generosity first and then sila and then bhavana, he prepared the foundation. So it's important not to lose this in in our individ- for our individual growth and for the growth of the Dhamma in the West. So this letting go, of course, has to do with letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion, which Larry will speak about. So the first aim of generosity, there are, the aim is twofold. The first aim is to free others of their discomfort, of their suffering, not just in the present time, but in the future. You know, of course, being a mother and a grandparent, I, I not only think of my children in this moment, but I think of them, uh, how are they going to be more comfortable in the future? What can I share with them now? It's not even just materially. It's um, what can I give them of my heart that will make it easier for them in the future? What can I give them of my time and my space that will make it easier for them, my friends, uh, people around me for the present and the future? So sharing our lives with our energy, with our time, with our material resources, this has to do with generosity. And this results, when we do this, this results in greater ease for others. So the second aim of generosity is to free ourselves. And this is something I didn't know anything about when I started this path. Not that we do it with that uh, selfish agenda, but we understand what happens in the natural occurrence of things, in the realm of cause and effect, when we offer generosity, when we let go What happens in the mind stream? What happens in the heart? There's a movement of the heart to diminish the forces of clinging, which is the major, uh, a major cause of suffering in our lives. This is a very important act for us to really pay attention to in our lives as we go home. So on a deeper level, on an internal level, it frees us from the causes of suffering, from the deep cause of suffering. On an external level, it frees others. So this point is the, is the key point that we must understand, that generosity is not just for others. It's for our, the freedom of our own hearts. 
And when we experience that freedom, we pass it along naturally just by our being, just by our modeling who we are in the world. There are layers and layers of clinging as we come to know when we, co- when we come to a retreat such as this. Achan Shah, one of our great Thai masters, would say, do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace and freedom. I've been very aware of this recently, actually in the recent days. I have a great Dharma elder who is at at this very moment in her um, hours or days of uh, leaving us, leaving this world. And I've seen her practice the Dharma. She's a very dedicated practitioner for the last 40 years. She's 85 years old now. And she knew this very deeply, that she had to let go completely at the time of death. And she wanted to let go consciously. Uh, It's not for everyone, but she didn't want to have anything that would cloud the mind. So she's gone through in this since I left her a lot of um, a lot of physical pain, uh, which she has um, brought a lot of mindfulness to, and who knows how much mental or heartache. But I've seen her really be conscious through this process, and I really understand from my relationship with her how important it is to be able to let go completely for this moment. So when the heart isn't holding on, so many beautiful inner states arise in the mind. Loving kindness arises because it has to be there in order to share with others. There's this caring that is naturally there. Equanimity is there. Sayadaw Pandita used to say, equanimity has to be there in order to let go of our possessions. That's exactly how we said it. Whatever material possessions, our time or our energy, we have to have a spaciousness of mind um, to just let it flow and not stickiness around it or holding on in some tight container to it. There's... um, There's also a lot of joy there when we let go. We see the joy of another to receive. We feel our own joy in having given. It's actually, uh, they say that generosity is an act that can be, if we're present for it, that can be completely surrounded by happiness. And so I'm just uh, remembering that a couple of stories. I know stories are good because um, I notice you all go like this a little more when there's a story. <laughs> so, um, I was in when I was in Burma just this year. I was in Burma practicing, and I have um, a really good friend who's a nun, and her name is Kamala. Also, so we call her Ma Kamala, 
she's a doctor actually that uh, became a nun and she's physically beautiful and she's also she has the most beautiful heart and she would shave my head when I was a nun I ordained twice when I've been to Burma just for a short time and um, we would talk and she be- we became very close she always gave me such wonderful simple advice you know we talked a little bit when we were um, doing the head shaving thing and so before I went to Burma this last time, it made it, it gave me great happiness to think of what I could give her. She doesn't have very much. You know, they live with about three sets of robes and um, the shoes and their requisites of medicine and food and, you know, some shelter. And um, so one of the things, I thought I could give her an umbrella and give her all the medicines. I brought extra. She's a doctor and she helps others and... Um, a, a, a scarf that was a little bit fancy. It was silk, but it was the color of her robes. And so I kept all of those things. I used the umbrella and what I did of the medicines. And I thought about it during the whole time I was there in Burma for the six weeks. And I thought, after this retreat, I'm going to give this to her. And every time I thought about it, I got happy. And so um, then I would... Uh, I made the appointment to see her at the end of the retreat. And she knows it's a really important time. I, I said, I have something to offer you. And it's actually very formally done because when it's done in person, there's there's more of um, it goes, the karmic results go deeper into the mind stream. They make a greater imprint. So made the appointment and she was made made a time for me and um, I went after one monastery. We met at another monastery. And she said, yes, sister, what is it? And I said, I have some things to offer to you. And she, so she said, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Not that she was getting any gifts, but she was happy because I was giving. She was happy for my giving. And so she said, wonderful, sister, wonderful. And so then I took the things in my hand, and as they do in Burma, they offer with two hands, you know, like full, full giving. So you're holding your, your one uh, arm and you're offering, or you're offering with two hands. And so I offer to her, and uh, I told her what they were, the umbrella to protect her and so forth and so on. And she received the gifts, and she put her hands together, and she's putting the things down, hands together, and said, Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Well done, well done. You know, really elevating that act, not because she received anything, but because the act is so beautiful. And so I said to her, Sister, this is so small. And, um, you know, there's a word that means that they use as karma in, uh, in Burma, and it's chetana. It's actually a Pali word. I said, sister, this is so small. And she said, sister, chetana is not small. Chetana is not small. 
that really pierced my heart. I, I thought I understood the teachings of Dana, but I never understood it as well as that simple moment. It was so simple. So please remember, any little act is not small. It's so powerful for you in your lives. Whatever little thing you can offer. Also, um, you know, in Burma they give food. And you go to monasteries and as Larry witnessed when he was there, as Gina witnessed when she was there, and Bhante witnessed when you, Bhante's been to Burma. Also, I'm sure, yes, Bhante, I heard about Thailand. but And um, we've all practiced with, um, you know, Seda Upandita and probably other similar teachers. But when food is given, it's like a joyous occasion, you know. And it's not only written on the board, but they announce who's going to give the food. And the families even come, and they stand by the side, and they watch us, watch us eat the food. And they're really happy when they're watching us eat the food, you know? So sometimes at the Mahasi, um, the Mahasi Monastery, where my, my husband practiced, he showed me when I went there a, pavi- a pavilion. I said, what is that for? And he said, that's for the people who come and offer the dana. It can hold 500 people. Sometimes a whole village comes to offer the food for... And so they say, you know, before they offer the food, before we eat the food, and um, the, the head monk will get up and say, today this food has been offered by such and such individual, such and such family, such and such community. And then he says at the end, let us all rejoice in this meritorious act. And all of us say in a group, sadhu, 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 really loud, you know. And then the children who are in the family, they're so innocent. They come around and they look at what you're eating and they pass the bowls around. And, and when you remember that afterwards, you know, so there's a before, there's a during the happiness. When you remember that afterwards, when even when you've received the food, when especially when you've given the food, it brings so much happiness to you. It's such an important act. So when we say sadhu, 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 it's not to puff up one's sense of self, but to uphold that selfless inner beauty. It's selfless because, you know, it's not about you. It's, it's when we do it, it's about others, but really it feeds your own. It nourishes your own heart. It strengthens your own path on the way to liberation. So it's, it's good to uphold it, not deny it, not minimize in any way um, any act of generosity. The Buddha said that it's important to know that giving a gift is, is important, and uh, it's important to know how to give a gift. So he said, one gives a gift out of faith. One gives a gift respectfully at the right time. One gives a gift with a generous heart. One gives a gift without 
denigration. So it, you know, sometimes we say, oh, no, no, it's nothing, it's nothing, like I said to um, Makamala. But it isn't. Chaitana is important. Your karma, our karma, the acts of changing our lives, which is uh, the seeds that we plant now to change our future experience. This is part of karma, of course, also. Someone recently told me that he made an appointment to give a gift to Sayadaw Upandita because it's important to do it in person. We can't always do that, but when we can, we do. And so he made the appointment, and Upandita was there to receive the gift. And so he approached and made his bows three times, and he gave his gift which was a sewing needle. And so he took the gift and he offered it to Sayadaw Pandita. And he told me, this yogi friend told me, that Sayadaw Pandita received that gift as if he were receiving a monastery. That he upheld that act so preciously. He just gave it that much importance without denigration. Because that person's wholesome act should be upheld. That's why it's so important not to deny someone their giving. Um, And it's been really important for me to just receive. Not, you know, because we're saying, oh, no, 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 I don't deserve it. You know, actually that's creating a sense of self too. But for that other person, just to receive it. So when we, when we can remember our acts of giving, it really, it really helps us. It gives us, us a wholesome sense of who we are in the world. It helps us remember our goodness, which is part of the, the spiritual path. It becomes a basis for our spiritual powers, This comes from Vishaka, one of the Buddha's chief patronesses. She says, when I remember my acts of generosity, I shall be contented. When I am contented, I shall be happy. When the mind is happy, the body will be tranquil. When the body is tranquil, I shall feel joy. When I feel joy, the mind will become concentrated. That will bring the development of the spiritual faculties in me and also the development of the spiritual powers and enlightenment factors. So step by step, she's pointing out how all of this can be. It's because in the moment of giving, three root torments of the mind are abandoned, easy to understand, Desire or clinging is abandoned. In that moment of letting go, ill will and fear is abandoned. Delusion or confusion is abandoned if we bring wise attention to it, not when it comes out of habit, but wise attention. We're giving away our greed. So in times when I have opportunities to give, 
I try to really, even when the person or organization isn't in front, I try to, when I write those amounts that I can, the little that I can share with others, that I'm, I'm really conscious of doing it uh, mindfully and remembering who's going to receive it, you know, and being happy about that. And uh, paying attention to what I'm doing, even if it's something like writing the check, putting it in the envelope, really mailing it with respect. So that kind of kind attention to it. So making generosity a mindfulness practice, just as all of these paramis are a mindfulness practice, bringing mindfulness to our sila, bringing mindfulness to acts of renunciation, which is, you know, dovetails with generosity. Uh, Mindfulness about metta, mindfulness about equanimity, also mindfulness around generosity. Noticing the different ways that we give. So I'm, I'm just speaking for myself now. Sometimes I can give hesitantly, ambival- ambivalently, um, tentatively. I'm, I'm fearing, uh, you know, it's not so big, but I, I check in. I'm fearing I won't have enough sometimes. So bringing mindfulness there. It's not just noticing the happiness about it, but noticing what's going on with a lot of gentleness. Um, I gave a friend once at the end of a retreat. She cooked, and I taught the retreat, and I didn't have much to share with her, so I gave her a dress that I had saved um, for a long time to buy. You know, it was one of those dresses that you never spend over $100. You know, it was during those days when... $100 meant a lot of money. It still does to me, but I bought this particular dress, and um, I thought she admired it, so I thought, I I can't give her much, and so I went to my closet, and I was getting the dress, and I was putting it back, and, (laughs) you know, should I give it? Should I not give it? Yes, no, yes, no, and finally, it, it ended on yes, you know, so I I gave her the dress, and and it was fine. And at the moment, it was really tentative giving, although I thought it was the other kind of giving, which is royal giving. But, you know, I just had to be honest. It was like, yes, no, yes, no. And, you know, I still think about my dress. <laughs> but she gives me, she tells me how happy she is when she still wears it and all of that. So there's grudge giving. You know how when you give and you think, oh, I didn't really want to give that. I want it back, you know? Even when we give to the place down the street that, you know, is taking things like that to give to others. Haven't you gone back to see if it's still there? (laughs) I have. (laughs) So, you know, I really wanted that. And just knowing it. Just knowing that that's happening, that's mindfulness around the whole act of generosity. Not making it wrong, just making it mindful. And then, of course, there's that royal giving, where you give your best, and you're so happy about it that you can give your best. Um, It may not be a 
big thing or a big amount thing, but it's your best. And that's, that's what matters. So, uh, and then there's one that somebody said, there's Thanksgiving, which is general, um, which is gratitude, which every single one of you have had in some way. So generosity is one of those really important steps on the path of purification, on the path of liberation, on the path of enlightenment, however you want to um, frame it for yourselves. So I'd like to end with um, this from Shantideva, which brings about those two main points that I've been trying to get across about uh, how it's for our own good also. Even when I do things for the sake of others, it's just like feeding myself. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.